How many people have your Bible today? Raise your Bible in the air, stand up underneath it. You may be seated. Listen, let me ask you something. If you were, if you were a tenth as excited about hearing what I am as excited about being able to, to show you today, when God showed it to me, th- then you would just be out of your seats excited. You know? Anybody in here like to eat? And I figured that. I like to eat too. Have you ever gotten that meal that otherwise would just be a meal that you just eat, an ordinary meal? But then when you take a bite of it, you realize, hmm, what's that ingredient in there? Mm, That makes it just, let's say, let's just choose a great meal like meatloaf. And let's say that you've just had meatloaf that was just like eating ground beef, right? But then you taste it has a little, oh, somebody's put a little garlic in it. Somebody's put a little seasoning. It's just cooked just right. And then it's got this little ingredient. Well, that's the way God's word is. You know, he wants you to take it into you. But God gives you so many ingredients. If you just skim the top, eat it real fast, and swallow it, you won't get out of it what he wants you to get out of it. Today, I want you to get all the little ingredients because there's a story that we read in the Bible. And we see it, and we say these, these couple of main ingredients. We say, hey, it's got ground beef and ketchup. But it's got more than ground beef and ketchup. It's got every little thing in it. So turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. As we read the scriptures that describe the events leading up to the arrest of Jesus, the trial of Jesus before the chief priests and the Jewish leaders, the trial of Jesus in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, the scourging of Jesus, the humiliation that he faced, the suffering that he faced, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. You say, hey, you're a week late. We're, we're over Easter. No, we're, no, we're never over Easter. But I saw this about three weeks ago, and, and it, was just, it was just phenomenal the way these pieces came together, but it wasn't the time. And so for the last three weeks, I've been going back and seeing this ingredient, and this ingredient, and this detail. And so today, I want to show you what God wants you to see. And my prayer is today that once you taste this and you see how detailed it is, the plan that God's put in place for you, that you'll see He loves you more than anybody could ever love you. He's been constructing a plan for you, not just since you were born, but since way before you were born, 100,000, 6,000 years before you were born. He has a plan in place for you to show you how much he loves you. But you have to choose that love. You see, God gives a specific scripture that describes what happened after Jesus was arrested. And that's where we come to today. After he was put on trial by the Jewish leaders and before he was taken to Pilate, I need you to to understand there's a scene that we'll step into today. And this is the scene that, that happens after Jesus was betrayed, after Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Judas came and kissed him on the cheek and the Roman soldiers carried him away and he was taken into the home of the chief priest and his father and they decided to to make this court and brought in false witnesses and they were saying, hey, you've blasphemed God by saying that you are his son and and they slapped him and they beat him and they spit on him and, and they mocked him and then they said, well, we can't kill him so we'll take him to the Roman court. We'll take him to Pontius Pilate and we'll put him on trial and we'll, we'll make up these things that says, hey, it's treason. 
He's saying that Caesar is not the king, that he is the king, so we'll, we'll try him for that. So on the way from the chief priest, on the way from that trial to the other trial, that's where we pick the story up at. You see, it's a specific story about Judas Iscariot, one of the Jesus' disciples, and there's some important details, let's call them ingredients, in the story that God clearly wants us to see. And I was particularly intrigued by this account of what happened as the picture that God is clearly trying to paint for us. When we think about Judas, we're prone to think about just those things that we've learned in the past, and we tend not to dig any deeper. For example, the first thing that we know about Jesus, about Judas, is what? What was Judas? He was a disciple, right? But somebody else said it. What was Judas? We know him as a what? A traitor. Who did he betray? And we know that, and we put that in our mind, and we say, hey, he betrayed Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver. And so we stick that in our mind. But God gave us so many more ingredients to let us see the significance of this. He wanted us to be able to see, because it's not just Judas that we look at and say, hey, Judas did that. Every piece of Scripture that God gives you is for your own application. It's not just for us to look at this villain, Judas, and say, hey, he did this. It's for me to look back at me and say, hey, how can I apply this to my life? So I want to dig deeper today because what God was really showing us was not just what Judas did. He was showing us what so many people do. We always look at Judas as this villain that sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but we're given the story to judge ourselves by. Now, granted, when we see the details of this story come together, we normally stop our mindset at what we already know. You know, we're prone to do that as humans. We say, I know, I know. And you can tune it out right now and say, I know about Judas, I know about the 30 pieces of silver. And you might expect right now, okay, so w this is another story about Judas and we're going to see the significance of the 30 pieces of silver and what it bought. And it's not. It's not. There's so many other things that God wants us to see. So as we pull the veil back, I want to tell you, we're not going to talk about the value of the 30 pieces of silver, what it was worth then or what it will be worth today. It wasn't about the 30 pieces of silver. It was about what happened inside of Judas and what didn't happen inside of Judas. The decision that he made, but the way it applies to us, the decision that we made, what happens inside of us, what doesn't happen inside of us. So I want to read to you this account in Matthew chapter 27. I want to read verses 1 through 10. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. They bound him and led him away. Here's where we're at in the story, right? And if you look at the beginning of verse 3, then Judas, so at this particular time, this is the time, then Judas, which had betrayed him. How did he betray him? What did he do? He walked up in the garden and he what? He showed the chief priest who he was. He sold him out. Listen, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned. So Judas saw something that day, right? He saw Jesus, Jesus being led away. Do you think he saw the blood on Jesus? 
You think he saw where Jesus had been beat in the house of the, the religious rulers? Do you think he saw what was coming? All of a sudden he's going to be crucified. It says, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and to the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Now there's an interesting fact. And, and I've talked to some people and some people know Judas. Well, he was the one that betrayed Jesus. Judas, he was a disciple. Did you know that Judas hanged himself? You say, well, I know that too. Well, then hang on. It says, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. It's the price of what? Somebody tell me what it's the price of. It's the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. What did they buy? Tell me again. And they bought this potter's field to bury strangers in. Why did they buy the field? Now that's just straightforward, right? The money was the price of blood. They took the money. They bought the potter's field. Why did they buy it? To bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they, the children of Israel, did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. So, I want us to be able to look at this scripture and hear what God's trying to tell us. And He's not just telling us these main ingredients. He's going to go deeper than this because He spent the whole Old Testament orchestrating this story to happen this particular way. Why? Because I needed to hear it and because you needed to hear it. That's the significance. Now, verse 3 says that when, Jesus, when Judas saw that Jesus was being brought to Pilate, the Roman governor, to be tried for claiming to be the king, you see, he was on trial for that, then Judas saw that the Jewish council had taken Jesus and they had abused him. They had mistreated him. These, these same people were taking him to the Roman officials so that they could crucify him. Jesus, Judas saw the crowd and Judas saw Jesus and something happened inside of him. He was heartbroken. He regretted what he had done. Now listen to the word that it used. It said, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself. Now, we always look at that word, and this is not what we're going to study today, but if you want to hear the second part of this service, then you might want to come back tonight. He repented himself. What did he do? He realized what he had done was wrong. Now, that was the act of, uh, that was described to us in here. Now, it gets a little deeper. It says, so he went back to the chief priest and he brought the 30 pieces of silver back to them. Verse 3 tells us that he brought the silver back. He wanted to undo what he had done. What had he done? It's a simple answer. What did he do? He betrayed Jesus. But listen to his words. His words, as we read in verse 4, it says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood he betrayed Jesus. We know that, but he put it in a different way. He betrayed the innocent blood. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver. He wanted to undo what he had done. And I can imagine 
if he were to put this in his words, Judas would say, this man's never done anything but love me. This man's never done anything but love everybody that's ever come to him. This man's never done anything but speak on behalf of God. He's never been guilty of sin. His blood is innocent. That's what he's saying. And I've seen it. I've seen that he's innocent. So now he's trying to say he's innocent. But I chose something that I thought was more valuable than that love. I chose the silver. So I have betrayed the innocent blood of Christ. Now some interesting things here that I want to point out. And if you're a note taker, I want you to write these scriptures down as we go through here because it's like God has given us the recipe of something that he's done and he gives us each ingredient with a different scripture. And I want you to walk through the little pieces today because it's just mind blowing that God planned all this out so that we could see this. So listen, Judas wanted to undo what he had done by giving back what he chose over Jesus. You say, I can't believe that. How did he think that giving back this, this silver would undo his betrayal? Well, I think we think the same things a lot of times. How many times have you ever realized, hey, listen, I've done this against God. I, I shouldn't have sinned. It's either a, a, a thing that I, I shouldn't have done with my uh, a sin of the flesh, or maybe it's a thought, or maybe it's something that you've put in front of God, or maybe it's unfaithfulness, or maybe it's unforgiveness, and you realize it. So you go back and you say, listen, I haven't been doing this right, and I know it's a sin, so I'm going to stop doing it. That's the first place we go to. If you're sinning, then our mind says, stop sinning. I'm going to stop doing this. I've been using this terrible language. Listen, here's the way I'm going to make it right with God. I'm going to stop doing it. Wrong. You're not right with God if you stop doing it. You say, what do you mean? Wouldn't God want you to stop doing it? Yes, but that's not the sin. That actually was the betrayal of innocent blood. You see, me and you have that sin. How many in here have sinned? And you're looking at the person beside of you, and you're saying they didn't raise their hand, but I know that they've sinned. <laughs> So we'll give them a chance to be honest. How many people in here have sinned? That's better. So do you realize that you have betrayed innocent blood in that you did something against God, right? And God wanted fellowship with you and he sent Jesus to die for you. And so that, that death of Jesus, the blood that was shed for us, we sang about that blood this morning. There's a, there's a fountain that's filled with blood, Right? When we choose to sin against God, then we're betraying that innocent blood. But I want you to see something that's bigger here. The bigger situation is that Judas betrayed the innocent blood, but he tried to undo it the way that we try to undo it, by just stopping doing it. And how did that work for him? For him to come back and say, I'm going to give you this silver back. That should undo this betrayal. Would that undo betrayal? No. Now listen to what the chief priest told him. It says in, in verse 4, they said this phrase, what is that to us? 
You said you betrayed innocent blood. Translated, that means that's not our problem, pal. That's your problem. You have to deal with that. You see, they loved it. They were able to say, you did it, it's on you. But then it gets a little bit deeper. In verse 5, it tells us that he threw the silver down in the temple. He gave it back. Why? They wouldn't take it. I'm just going to throw it. This is my attempt to undo my sin. Why did he do it? He just couldn't handle the guilt. So he threw the money back. And then he went and hanged himself. He went and hanged himself. He took his life because he didn't see any more hope in life. You see, Judas had a guilt that was overwhelming. And I began to ask, you know, why did he choose this option? Why didn't he just cry out to Jesus and ask him to forgive him? You might say, well, Jesus couldn't have forgiven him of that. Where does it say Jesus couldn't have forgiven him of that? Why didn't he run to Jesus? He was watching him take Jesus up to the, to the Roman governor. He saw him beaten. He saw what they had done. He knew he was going to be condemned. Why did he go to the chief priest and try to undo it with his actions? Isn't that what we do? I've been doing this. I need to just stop doing this. No, if you've been doing this, you don't need to just stop doing this. You need to go and cry out to Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus was going to die and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. You can't get forgiveness of sins from a priest. I don't care who tells you. The priest can't give forgiveness. Only Jesus can give forgiveness. He didn't even ask them for forgiveness. He just threw the money back. Now, there's a lot of pictures in this. For the life of me, I can't understand why he wouldn't just run to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. And you might be that person that says, I don't know if Jesus would have forgiven him. But my question is, I'm not talking about Judas. I had to turn this around to me. Why would I knowingly sin against God? Has anybody here knowingly sinned against God? Of course we have. We know he says don't do something, but we do it. And I'm convinced when we choose something over God, something that we want more than God's love, being obedient to Him, having, having uh, our lives please Him, when we choose something that we want more than God's love, then we're doing the same thing that Judas has done. We're making a choice. Judas wasn't condemned at the point that he took the money. He wasn't condemned at the point that he kissed Jesus. He was condemned when he failed to ask Jesus for forgiveness. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9 tells us we have to confess it. Judas never confessed it. He tried to fix it. How many of us as Christians, we know we have a relationship with God. We know we've walked with him, but there's sin that enters our life, and we try to fix it instead of just taking it to God and pouring it out and say, God, I'm guilty of it. You fix it. I've been stuck in that little 
thing for a while. Spent years in that little paradigm, right? You see, Judas was prophetic in his statement. The statement said, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood, but you see, he could have been forgiven if he would have been willing to come to Jesus, cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've sinned against you, but he didn't. He betrayed innocent blood by not asking Jesus to forgive him. You see, Judas' sin of accepting the silver to betray Jesus and then choosing it over Jesus is no different than the sin that you and I commit so often. We choose something we want more than our relationship with God. Have you ever done that? Maybe it's money or finances. We put our time and effort into making sure that was where our security came from. We've chosen that over our relationship with God, over our willingness to, to worship Him and be faithful in worship, over our willingness to pray, over our willingness to get in His Word. We chose to focus on something other than deepening our love to God, deepening our walk with God. We chose it over Him. Is that any different than what Judas did? He chose something he wanted more because Jesus was just going to be there. But then when he saw, hey, listen, they're going to do more than just take him in there. They're going to take him and kill him. He realized what was going on. But think about something else. How many people choose their own recognition? They promote themselves in a prideful way. They say things or do things that they know are ungodly so they'll be accepted. Maybe it happens from a young person in school in a peer group to where they do something they wouldn't do that they know is a sin against God, but they do it for their own recognition or acceptance. What did they do? They chose to disobey God. They chose what they wanted. They chose what they wanted more than their relationship with God. It's the same thing that Judas did. It's not 30 pieces of silver, but it's whatever you chose. Maybe it's a friend group or maybe it's just pleasures. You know, these things happen all the time when someone has a decision to make inside of their mind and they know that God wouldn't be pleased with this, but then the flesh comes up and they say, I want to satisfy my flesh. I want to feel this. I want to experience this. So they choose this over their relationship with the Lord. They make a choice. Maybe it's a pleasure, but maybe, maybe it's even entertainment. They choose that over their walk with the Lord. Now, here's what we need to realize. When we choose those things over our relationship with God, we do the same thing that Judas did. But when we choose not to truly repent and ask forgiveness from God, when we choose not to admit our guilt to, to, to God, when we choose not to confess it, when we choose not to ask Him to use the blood of Jesus to forgive Him, for, to forgive us, then we betray the innocent blood of Jesus. That's when you betray the blood. Why? That blood was shed for us. So that we could be forgiven, so that we could be in fellowship with God. So you're basically saying, I'm not going to use that now because I want this other. Now, I want you to see some other details that are important. We're going to talk a little bit more about Judas's repentance later. I want to show you something that was very untypical that happened, but God had it all happen for a reason. You see, in verse 6, we see that Judas gave the money back. He said, here it is back, but they wouldn't take it. 
They couldn't put it back in the treasury is what they said because it was blood money. It was the price of blood. Listen to verse 6. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for us to put them back in the treasury. You see, he gave them back to the chief priest and they said, it's not our problem, pal, it's your problem. And Judas having no hope, he didn't turn to Jesus. He turned to himself and said, there's nothing more I can do. Nothing more I can do. And understand, there's nothing that we can do to have our sins forgiven. There's no price we can pay. But he didn't turn to Jesus. He threw the money back at them, and he went and hanged himself. End of story, Judas. But then the chief priest picked up the money and listened to them, how hypocritical, how pious they were. Listen to what it says in verse 6. They took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. The money was the price of blood. The money was the price of blood. Tell me what the money was. The price of whose blood? Because it was blood money, it was betrayal money, it was the price of blood. It was going to lead to his crucifixion. And they said, hey listen, this is, a, this is God's house here. We can't put that money back in the treasury. Where did the money come from? It came from the treasury. They made it blood money. Isn't it amazing how our mind works to get ourselves out of guiltiness? I thought to myself, a bunch of rascals. They're putting this on Judas and say, oh, no, we can't take it because it's, you know, it's blood money. They're the ones that made it blood money. It came out of there, but they said they couldn't take it back. But understand, this is all according to God's plan. So listen to the details, you see. So they bought a piece of land with this money. This piece of land was called what? Tell me again what it was called. I want you to learn the significance today of the potter's field. There's some people that know about Judas. There's people that know that he was a disciple. There's people that know that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. There's people that know that he went and hung himself. But we don't know a lot about the potter's field, but the Bible gives us a depth of knowledge about the potter's field and the significance. You see, these chief priests decided this would be a noble act so that they could use this land to bury strangers or foreigners who had no family there. This field was called the, the field of blood because it was bought with blood money. Now, think about what Judas said. I have betrayed innocent blood, and now the price of the betrayal of Jesus' innocent blood has purchased a field to bury strangers in. Now, stop at this moment because I want to share with you something that I think is a pretty big deal. We'll come back to. You and me, when we came in here today, we as Christians, we think all the time, what can wash away my sins? Tell me. This blood of Jesus. We know that the blood of Jesus, but the price of the blood of Jesus, right? We know this. We know how precious it is. But I want you to understand that the price of Jesus' blood doesn't just buy our salvation. The price of Jesus' blood also bought the potter's field. And when you understand the significance of that, you're really going to get something that's good. You're going to understand there has to be a choice that's made. You see, it says in verse 7 and 8, they bought the potter's field with this money. 
they thought, let's do this great thing. You see, if you were not a part of the Jewish families there, and you came into town as a stranger or a foreigner, then you didn't have a place because you weren't covenanted in with them. So you didn't have a burial place, so they wanted to get a place outside the, the town they could bury strangers in. What a nice, a nice thing to do. But we see in verse 9 and 10, there's some significance because God knew this was going to happen and it was fulfillment of his prophecy in the Old Testament. So hang on, all right? Listen to verse 9 and 10. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, meaning Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom the children of Israel did value, and they gave them for the what? potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, I want you to understand something. Up until this point, we think, oh, okay, well, they decided they couldn't take this money and put it back into the treasury. So, they took counsel. They decided what they're going to do. They bought this random field that was outside of town. What I want to show you today is that God planned for them to buy this field way back, thousands of years before this. He had a plan in place for this to happen. And he didn't even prophesied. But you know, people stop digging when they run into a hurdle. So I want to explain to you something. When Matthew is stating here, and listen to what he says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and he quotes this. Well, if you're a Bible student and you go back to the book of Jeremiah, it doesn't give this quote. So people start thinking, okay, what in the world is he talking about? You know, there's even people, critics of the scriptural, that will say, hey, listen, that's a contradiction because Jeremiah doesn't say it. Listen, God never makes a contradiction. So let me explain how this happens. If they dig a little bit further, they they will realize that the old Hebrew canon, the original work of God, is divided into three sections. The first is law, the second is writings, the third is prophets. Now understand something, Jeremiah was the first in the order of the prophets. So somebody like Matthew, when he was referring to the book of the prophets, would have called it the book of Jeremiah because it's the first prophet that was listed, even though the prophecy came from the book of Zechariah. Does that make sense? So he was saying, yes, it's in here. It's been prophesied about, and today is just a fulfillment of that. But what we need to understand is that this prophecy in Zechariah chapter 11, this prophecy will begin even before that. And before we get to Zechariah, this, the fulfillment of this prophecy, I want to share it with you. I've got to share you a couple of more details, okay? Good little details. And you'll find this if you dig. These are the ingredients. I want you to go like this. Right? That, you know how you taste that little thing? You say, has that got that in there? Listen to this. Go back sometime to Jeremiah chapter 18. We're talking about the potter's field. Jeremiah 18 talks about the potter's wheel. First sermon I had an opportunity to preach here was, what did God do with your dirt? Right? You know you're made of dirt. You're nothing but clay. And God puts you on his potter's wheel. He told Jeremiah, that prophet in Jeremiah 18, he said, go down to the potter's house. You'll see the potter there. And he's talking about how we are made of clay and that God as the potter can shape us and mold us. Do you know that as long as that clay is, is worked by the potter, that it can get marred in the potter's hand? Anybody ever been marred in your life? And then God took you back and put you on that potter's wheel, that potter's wheel. 
and spun it and formed you back into what you needed to be, right? But as long as you stay soft, as long as your heart stays soft, as long as you're not stiff-necked like the Bible calls it, you're willing to, to be molded and made by God, He can keep you on that wheel. And even though you might get marred in life, He keeps making you. But do you know, when you get to chapter 19 of Jeremiah, you realize something. God's upset at these people. And so he uses Jeremiah to act out something. And I want you to see this in Jeremiah and Zechariah. Now listen, I'm just going to tell you the story. It'll be easier. And you can go back and read Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah 19, and Zechariah, okay? But listen, these prophets would act out in front of these people what God was prophesying. They would do just like this little drama and act it out. So in chapter 19... God tells Jeremiah, hey, listen, now I want you to go down to the potter's house and I want you to buy, I want you to buy this jar. He's talking about a piece of pottery, a clay pottery, right? Let's just call it a coffee cup or something, okay? We know, made out of ceramic. Anybody got a, a clay made out of ceramic? He says, go and buy this. And I need you to act out this drama. And here's what we find. When we get to the 19th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, God is so upset with his people. You know what they've been doing? They've been choosing stuff that they want more than him. Hey, does that sound familiar? Like something we were talking about that Judas did? They were putting stuff in front of him. They were choosing other gods. They were choosing to be astronomers. And they were setting up places on the roof to, to be able to view these other gods. They were worshiping the sun. They were putting everything in front of him. They had betrayed his love of bringing them to this place and rescuing them. They had put everything else in their life in front of God. And he was so disgusted. He said, Jeremiah, go and act this out. Go get this vessel from the potter. But understand, when it becomes comes a cup, it's no more formable, is it? It's not moldable clay. It's hard, right? So if I broke that cup that was hard in clay, can I just mold it back together? It's impossible. What is it? It's garbage. It's garbage. Now when you read this 19th chapter of Jeremiah on your own time, he had him act out this, listen, this is big. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the valley of Hinnon. Now, did some research on this. Can I tell you what piece of ground the valley of Hinnon is? It's the potter's field. It's right outside of Jerusalem. He said, Jeremiah, I'm so disgusted with these people. Go down to the south wall of Jerusalem. That's where the potters were at. And I want you to, to, to get this vessel. I want you to go out there and I want you to break it in this field and throw it in there and say, this is the way I feel about you. And I'm going to curse this land. This field here in the Valley of Hinnon is going to be cursed. It's going to be of no use to anybody. And it represents this broken vessel that's thrown down in here because you didn't want me to mold you. You didn't want me to make you. You wanted something more than me. This is the potter's field. Now, interestingly enough, God used this same piece of land knowing that later on when this money was brought to the chief priest they would buy this land called the potter's field. Is that not amazing? Same location? Go do your research. Same location. And do you realize that even to this day, 
You can Google a picture of it. It's right outside of Jerusalem where you see all these houses upon houses and all this structure. Then you see this place with this Greek monastery in front of it and you see this open, desolate wasteland that nobody's ever built a house on. Why? Because God cursed that ground. He said it was desolate. He said it was a garbage heap. He said that nothing good would come out of it. He said it was the place of utter destruction and the place of damnation. Read chapter 19 of Jeremiah sometimes. Look at how he talked about this land. Well, these, these chief priests, they had 30 pieces of silver. We thought, hey, they did a great thing. Guess what? They went and bought the cheapest piece of land in town. Who wanted this piece of land? Nobody. And they said, we'll use this piece of land to bury who? Strangers. And then we see the prophecy of Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. This is what Matthew was quoting from. It says, and Zechariah was acting this out. I said unto them, if you think good, give me a price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Amazing God had this going on beforehand, right? And the Lord said unto me, cast it into the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Where did Judas give this money back at? Now get this, because this is pretty good. You see, Zechariah came to act this part out, and this is what he acted out. Basically, God wanted him to picture and speak on behalf of Jesus, and Zechariah was acting out a drama of prophecy by picturing Jesus, asking those that he came to shepherd how much they felt like he was worth to them. And you know what they mockingly said? 30 pieces of silver. Now, the only reference I'm going to give you to the value of 30 pieces of silver, I'm not going to say what it could have been worth then, what it's worth now with the price of inflation, what it could have bought then, what it means to your salary. No, the only reference that we have that gives us this true value of 30 pieces of silver is found in Exodus chapter 21 when, when God's giving them these rules. And do you know what he says? He says that 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave that has been gored by his ox. Now get this, because I serve a slave. Jesus is the suffering servant. He came to be a slave for me and for you, and he was gored. But we're not even going there. Because what I took out of this is that they, they gave him this value of a slave that wasn't even able to work. A slave that couldn't do anything, that was gored by this ox. And so they gave him this value, 30 pieces of silver. So it let me know that regardless, no matter what anybody says, 30 pieces of silver wasn't this monumental purse of money. But it was enough to buy land that nobody else wanted. It was enough to buy cursed land, wasn't it? Now think about this because it gets a little better. The potter's field was bought with the innocent blood of Jesus, but it was bought for a specific reason. Do you remember the reason? What did they say they were going to do? They were going to bury strangers and foreigners. It was purchased with the price given for the blood of Jesus. Now, we know the Bible says when we're talking about us and we're talking about the blood of Jesus, we know the Bible says our salvation was purchased by Jesus' blood. How many people know that? That our sins can only be forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your mind, or in your spirit, which are God's. But 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we've come back to this verse a couple of times, powerful verse. It says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. What do you mean redeemed? You were bought with a price. Your salvation. He had to pay the price for your sins. But it wasn't with silver and gold. It was with the, the precious blood of Christ. Now, can I translate precious to you? It would be priceless. I have betrayed innocent blood. The potter's field was bought with the price of blood. It was blood money. They said they couldn't take it. They couldn't take it in the treasury. Listen to the response that we see in, in Matthew 27. They took counsel and bought them the potter's field. Why? Because they said it's not lawful for them to put it into the treasury because it's the price of blood. And then 1 Peter 1 tells me that I was redeemed with something more priceless than silver and gold. It was the price of blood. You were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the blood of Christ, who is the lamb without, blot, without blot or, or, or blemish, without blemish or spot. Glory to God. Now, we know that the blood of Jesus, as this sacrificial lamb, paid for our sins, but the price of Jesus' blood, what we don't like to think about, it also bought the potter's field. What do you do with this information? I saw it, and I was just like, when it came to that, was how this whole thing started. I saw it, and I was just like, actually, Jesus' blood, blood money bought the potter's field. Didn't just buy my salvation, it bought the potter's field. What do I do with that? Well, God's been planning for us to do something since he started uh, everything into place back in Jeremiah and Zechariah. So let's do something with it, okay? You see, the potter's field was a place to bury strangers. When we accept Jesus Christ, when we accept the blood as the price to pay for our sins, do you realize that you become part of the family of God? Amen. We have to receive the payment for our sins by believing on what Jesus did. Let me talk about the family of God. The, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, when it's describing Jesus, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That means you're in the family of God. You have to do what? You have to receive him. What are you receiving? The price of the blood. As many as received the price of the blood, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. The fact that Jesus died on the cross doesn't save you. It doesn't save me. You have to choose it as many as received it. But then it gets better because when we get to Ephesians chapter 2, it sort of clarifies because if you don't receive it, you refuse it. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 well, it tells us this, and it's clearly given in reference here. It says that in the times past you were without Christ, being, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. What did they call them? Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. What is he describing? He's describing how we are before we accept Jesus Christ, or if we don't accept Jesus Christ. You know what status you're given? Stranger. What status are you giving? Stranger. Tell me again. Stranger. 
potter's field was bought to bury who in? What status are you given if you, accept, if you refuse to accept Jesus' forgiveness? If you don't accept the price of that blood, you're a stranger. It says here clearly, it says, you are without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. The covenant we have is in Christ Jesus. That blood covenant. But then it says something even bigger. When we're in this state, we have no hope. What was it that led Judas to this potter's field? Why didn't he cry out to God? He couldn't undo it himself. He was in a position of no hope. Every stranger is in that condition, whether they know it or not. He realized it. But he didn't make the choice that he needed to make. You see, the Bible tells us in this verse, while that we're in our sin and rejecting God, then we're considered strangers because we're separated from God by our sin. Now, here's the thing. If we stay in that sin and betray the love of God through Jesus, then we've chosen something over Jesus, just like Judas. And if you die in that condition, or if the Lord comes back when you're in that condition, then the price of Jesus' blood is not used to buy a place for you in fellowship with Him. The price of Jesus' blood is used to buy a place in the potter's field for you. That cursed place of damnation. Oh, I can't believe we're talking like that in church. I happen to be quoting the scripture. Now, if we refuse the price of Jesus' blood to purchase our salvation by forgiving our sins and giving us fellowship with God so that we can be considered part of God's family, then the price of Jesus' blood is basically used to seal our destiny in the potter's field. The potter's field does not represent a really good place. It's the place of cursing. It's the place of no hope. It's the place of feudal destiny. It's the place of separation from the covenant. It's the place for strangers. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.12 that the stranger is described as someone without Christ, a stranger from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So I want to stop right there, and I need to throw in something that I found a couple of, uh, of weeks ago that I thought was just huge, but we would have to go a little bit deeper. If we go a little bit deeper, are we going to lose this, or can I go a little bit deeper? One step deeper. Can we go just because it's beautiful? I didn't happen to see it and never knew it was going to come together. One step deeper. Here's what we're going to do. Now, if you go back and read about the Passover, because that's really the covenant, right? We celebrated last week. What do you have to do with the lamb? Somebody tell me. Eat the lamb. You have to take him inside by belief. And that's how the covenant is made. And, and the blood is a sign on, on the doorpost. But this lamb is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb, isn't he? So you come into covenant with God by taking this Passover lamb. If you go back to Exodus 12 and you read sometimes, mark it in your Bibles. Go back in Exodus 12. We always read the first part about the Passover, but I got down deep into the scripture. When you get over to verses 40 and on, guess what all the, the, the details are about? First we learned about... How, much, how many details there were about eating the lamb. Guess what the last of that is about? It says, no stranger can take of the Passover. No stranger can enter that covenant. A stranger wasn't allowed to do it. A stranger, what do you mean? Somebody that hadn't come into the covenant. And then it said, the only way that stranger can come into the covenant and take of the Passover lamb, which is who? 
Now we're Old Testament. The only way they can is to follow the covenant and be circumcised because being circumcised was a sign of the covenant. Well, God, what does He tell us today? Well, if you look in the book of Colossians, He tells us we have to circumcise our heart. We have to cut off the bad part of our heart to come into covenant with Him. If we don't accept the covenant, we can't eat the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb is Jesus. If we don't eat the Passover lamb, if you don't get saved, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will stay a stranger. You can't come to the cross and use the blood of that lamb. Isn't that crazy? And all these things fit together. Now, if you stopped right there, you would talk about how horrible this is. These people that don't come in the covenant with God, these people that don't use the blood of Christ to redeem their sins, they're going to end up in this potter's field, not the actual field over there. But it is a place of desolation. It's a place of cursing. But I have to stop at this point today and realize the depth of love that God has for me and you, and I want to praise Him. I want to praise him because I've read the second part of Ephesians 2. You see, we have a choice to accept the blood of Jesus to buy our salvation instead of a place in the potter's field. You have a choice. You have a choice. Tell the person beside of you, you have a choice. These kids had a choice for what they wanted to buy. They didn't bring the money with them. God supplies the price and supplies what you buy with the price. You bring nothing. You can bring nothing. You can't undo anything. You can't bring your sins back and say, I want to turn them around. No, you have to cry out to him and ask him to use that price. Listen to Ephesians 2.13. It's right after what we read about the strangers. I've got this underlined so many times in my Bible, it's just about marked out these two words. It says, but now. Do you realize that's the greatest transition in the Bible? But now. Say it with me. You were strangers, but now in Christ ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen? That means you're brought into fellowship. You used to be a stranger, but now through the blood of Christ, the price of innocent blood, you were brought into fellowship with God. You were strangers, but now you're not strangers anymore. And when you get down to verse 19, you've already realized that the blood of Christ can can buy your place out of the potter's field, haven't you? You can buy you into fellowship with God, not of anything that you've earned, but it'll buy that, that fellowship with you. Now listen to verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. When is the last time that you got on your knees or raised your hands and just praised God for being in God's family? See, don't believe this, this lie uh, of just this universalism that's happening that tells us that just because Jesus died, you're going to heaven. No, it involves you making a choice that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It requires us to choose. It requires us to cry out to Jesus. Not what Judas did. He betrayed innocent blood in that the blood that Jesus shed for him, he didn't use it to forgive his sins. And that ultimately is the sin unto death. It blasphemes everything that God did for you in his love. 
Now understand this, and I have to say glory to God again. The price of Jesus' blood gave us the ability to be in the household of God, to be part of His family. When we accept the price of His blood to forgive our sins, then we stop betraying innocent blood. We stop being considered strangers. We're given a place in the family of God instead of a place in that cursed potter's field bought with the price of innocent blood. So today we know that God loves us so much that He did everything He could to give us a way to get to Him. He gave us His Son Jesus to pay the price for our sins. Jesus suffered and died so that we could use the price of this innocent blood to purchase our salvation. And give us a place in the family of God. But understand something. If you just read this scripture as the potter's field and don't understand that this is what Jesus saved you from, you'll never realize how good this dish is that you're getting to eat. You know, I praise God not for what He's going to do for me. I can't see what He's going to do for me. And a lot of Christians... They're hung on that. Well, one day this is going to happen, and I believe that. But what helps me praise God is to know what He saved me from. I've seen that. Right? He loved me enough. He saved me from it. So when I see what I avoided, glory to God, it makes me want to praise Him. He saved me from my eternal destiny in a potter's field called hell, which is a place of no hope which is a place of separation from the family of God, which is a place that is cursed and damned forever, which is a place that you'll never change because it represents that hardened clay that can't be remade again, it can't be remolded, it's done, it can't go back on the potter's wheel. He saved me from that. He still got me on the wheel, as a matter of fact. But if we refuse to accept this salvation, if we refuse to cry out to God and ask Him to forgive us, then the price of Jesus' blood will not be used to buy our eternal life with Jesus in the presence of God. The price of Jesus' blood will be used to buy our place in the potter's field. That's the significance. And God's been telling this story since the book of Jeremiah. He just wanted us to put all the ingredients together so that we would realize how great a love He had for us. So my question to you today would be, what have you used the price of Jesus' innocent blood to purchase? Do you know for sure you've used the price of that blood to purchase your salvation? Do you know that you've cried out to God? You haven't just tried to undo it. You haven't tried to do it by your good works. You haven't tried to just give and do it. You've actually cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus... Jesus, I've betrayed you. Please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I realize I can't come to you except I confess my sins and ask you to be my Savior. I believe your death for the sacrifice of my sins, you that Passover lamb, you're my only way to get to God. Please come into my heart. Save me, Jesus. When you accept that gift of love that God gave, that just gift of love, you become part of the family of God. You're no longer a stranger. But if you refuse it and try to do it your own way, then you'll go to a place of no hope that the Bible calls the potter's field. It's still there for people to see. 
It's a lonely looking place with all the houses that are built all around it. When you pull it up and look at this place, you'll, you'll see just a place of desolate, no houses built on it, just some tombs. As valuable as land is, still, it's cursed. I think sometimes we need something like this to see the value of what Jesus did for us and that we do have a choice to make. I think so many people are told today that you're automatically, you walk into church or you go through this class in church or you learn this specific thing that, okay, you're going to heaven or you believe in a God that you're going to heaven. That's not the case. You have to make a choice. Have you made that choice today? Have you chose to use the innocent blood to buy your salvation? If you don't, then you're choosing it to buy the potter's field. It's going to buy one of those two things. If you're here today and you're not absolutely sure, there's been a time in your life when you've asked the Lord Jesus Christ to, to forgive you of your sins. You've come to God and realized I'm a sinner. You cried out like the publican did and said, God, have mercy upon me. I can't do anything else. You cried out to him and said, please save me. Use your blood to wash away my sins. I'll live for you. Be my Lord and Savior. If you haven't had that time where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, please do not leave here today knowing your destiny is a potter's field or wondering if it's going to be. Come down. I want to pray with you. There's somebody listening today that needs to be saved. You've put it off and you put it off. Don't put it off. If you die with your destiny in the potter's field, there is no hope. Or maybe you're that Christian. You know, life is busy. You haven't understood the significance of what you were saved from. Maybe it's time just to fall on your knees and just praise him today during this invitation. Just see how much he loved you. Just see the choice he gave you. If you've made that choice to follow him, it's just a good time just to tell him you love him. Rededicate your purpose to him. Be able just to thank Jesus for everything he went through to pay that price for your salvation. Father God, I love you. I praise you and I thank you. I pray, God, that you would work on hearts and minds right now. I pray, God, that you would just minister to us, Lord, with the ingredients that you've given us. Your word is truth, Lord, and so we've stated the truth today. Thank you, Lord, for putting it all together so that we can see the significance of what you've done for us. Thank you for the price of your innocent blood. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to any person listening today, Lord, that's unsure of their salvation or they're sure that they haven't been saved. Lord, I pray that you would knock on their heart's door right now, compel them to come. And Lord, pray that prayer. Lord, to feel that feeling, to ask for that, that, that price to cover their sins. Lord, let them see themselves the same way you let me see myself years ago. And I pray for Christians all over this room, Lord, realizing the depth of your love and how you've planned this word of yours out for all these, these years upon years, Lord, to fulfill your prophecy, knowing that you knew what was going on the whole time. Or let us come and just praise you for the choice you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.